MoreLikeRadio.com. It's our duty to entertain you. <laughs> I said duty. Only alcohol can make life bearable. You must drink, always drink. I blame this all on Kevin, DMU. Has anyone ever known a good person named Kevin? We, we hung out with, with Kevin from Alcohol by Volume. And he only says like three words. He, he's like really shy. He really talked to me. Towards the end of the night when he was drinking more, man, he, he was he was right there with us talking a mile a minute. Alcohol by Volume? <sighs> I'm actually kind of drunk. Alcohol by Volume, awesome show. You really want to get drunk? <laughs> Listen to that show because by hour two he's blitzed. I bet. Oh, it's awesome. Because it's a beer show. Kevin, some stupid. His weird story. Polish last name. Yeah. Where's your dedication there, Kevin? Your own show or someone else's? Alcohol my volume. I shove alcohol in my butthole. That's not it. it nothing to do with butthole. I mean, can you even get drunk anymore? It's kind of like a drinking a vitamin, right? So you're blaming the drunkard. Yes, I'm blaming the MLR drunkard, Kevin. Hello, bartender. I have thought it over, and far from being a fat pig, you are very nice. And I would like another drink. Take a barf, drunkie! I am not live today because I have felt like shit for the past few days. My, my kids came down with some 24-hour bug and then, of course, passed it on to me. Um, Sunday, I was completely bedridden with a fever, alternating chills and sweats and just nausea all day. I, di- I didn't end up puking, which, which I don't know, it probably would have helped if I had. But um, So I'm just kind of trying to reset myself here. Um, I want to keep myself good and primed for... Um, the upcoming 100th episode, which will be coming up in a few weeks. So for this week, I will treat you to some best of, uh, some uh, some stuff earlier from the show. Um, and as you can tell, obviously, I'm not even on my, my home mic right now. I'm on a little portable recorder in my office. Um, I don't know if you can hear that ringing in the background, but apparently somebody set off an alarm uh, outside my office back on Friday, and nobody's been able to disarm it yet. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, fucking clusterfuck here. But um, anyway, some best of from uh, early early to mid-2013, uh, back when I was really still doing kind of topical shows, and you'll kind of see what those were like if you weren't listening back then. So without further ado, enjoy some best of... You're listening to the best of alcohol by volume on more like radio. I am covering stouts. Um, and there's actually, there's a lot to this, a lot more than I thought there would be. Um, and hold on just a second. Let me click on this. Oh, I see that Dennis is actually drinking a West Mall triple right now. So he's sticking with the, sticking with the, uh, the Trappist ales there. Uh, okay, let's see back to Twitter here. Okay, um, so I will go into the stouts. Um, you guys that have listened to me or seen me, you know, checking in with my beers and everything on Untapped, you know that stouts are that's my big beer love. I mean, it, that's a lot of the time that's my go-to, um, especially in a world of 
so many goddamn IPAs. It, it, the stouts are always there for me. Um, a stout, it's basically, a, it's a dark beer made using roasted malt. And if you remember, roasted malts give you those chocolate coffee kind of flavors. Um, and also, you know, they can use roasted barley, hops, uh, water, and yeast. Uh, originally, it was used as a generic term for the strongest or, quote, stoutest porters, around 7 to 8 alcohol, um, uh, some, uh, 7 to 8% alcohol. And as a result, porters and stouts end up with a lot in common. Sometimes they're actually even used interchangeably in names. Um, sometimes when it comes to the taste, I it, they blend in together very, very closely. Let me take a sip here. I'm actually drinking... A stout at the moment, Dogfish Head Chicory Stout. Uh, about this stout, as it says in the bottle, a rich dark brew smoothed out with a touch of roasted chicory and organic Mexican coffee. Goodness between a bone white head. So it, it, it's pretty good. I like it. Never had it before. Uh, got it as part of a build a six pack. And it's one I wanted to try for a bit. Um, I've, I've seen it at the store recently, but hadn't had occasion to pick it up just yet. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Uh, as I said, um, you know, porters and stouts have a lot in common. Um, the history and development of them are pretty much intertwined because of it. Um, one weird thing, despite being a primarily dark beer, there actually were pale stouts at one point. This kind of blew my mind when I read about this. Um, it was back in the 19th century. Um, and, um, let's see. Um, I'm probably going to consolidate a lot of these links on the, um, on the Facebook group because, uh, um, since, uh, MLR is down at the moment. Um, but the existence of pale stouts is actually a reason why, um, Guinness's, uh, like the harp label, uh, it, most of you have probably seen it. It has, uh, it's the Guinness logo with the harp on it, um, it was issued to bottlers, quote, who sell no other brown stout in bottle. Those words appeared on the label along with the harp. And bottlers who did sell another bottled brown stout weren't permitted by Guinness to use the harp trademark on their bottled Guinness. So there is, um, there is a bit of history behind that pale stout. It's not something you really see anymore. Um, I kind of tried to look into it, and I just I was not finding any current pale stouts there may be some out there but i just i was not able to locate any of them um to start out oh god damn my mouth is dry today mm. okay that's better um i'll talk a little bit about porter because again you got to talk about porter when you're talking about stout um porter originated in london in the early 1720s it was named porter because it was popular with street and river porters it has a strong flavor and you know that from stouts. Um, and it took longer to spoil than other beers. Remember the whole time period um, and like the creation of IPAs back then? Um, there was a lot of sea voyaging. That's why the IPAs came into vogue back then with the hops acting as the preserving agent. So anything that lasted longer, it was a lot better for a sea voyage. Um, it in- An interesting thing about the porters, they increased in alcohol content with age. That's an- uh, another benefit of staying fresh longer. They were significantly cheaper than other beers, which was helpful with street and river porters because 
obviously they weren't, you know, making a lot of, you know, cash back then. It's not easily affected by heat and it gained its customary black color through black patent malt in the 19th century. And that made it even stronger as a result. Um, black patent malt, it's actually, it's a malt that's been um, kilned to the point that it actually kind of, it starts carbonizing. So, you know, it gets that kind of charcoaly um, kind of scent and feel to it. Um, they kiln it to about 200 degrees Celsius. So, I mean, they're getting it pretty hot there. And it gives that ashy undertone to the taste, kind of a like a smoky kind of taste in some cases. Now, the word stout, um, how I mentioned before, it was originally a generic term for those stoutest porters, you know, the strong porters. And the word originally meant proud or brave, but after the 14th century, it also came to mean strong. And the first known use of the word stout in relation to beer was in a 1677 manuscript inferring that a stout beer was a strong beer. Uh, In the 18th century, the expression stout porter came into usage, referring to the strong versions of the porters, and it actually started being used regularly by Guinness uh, back in 1820. Uh, Guinness had actually been brewing porters since 1780, and they started with ales, which I did not know, uh, back in 1759. So they've been around for quite a while. At that stage in history, stout still only meant strong in relation to beer, and it wasn't a specific type of beer. So it could technically be used to refer to any kind of strong beer. Um, and like, it, like I mentioned before, there would be pale varieties of beers called stout. And in the UK, it wasn't uncommon to find a stout pale ale. I know, again, that, that sounds like a, you know, uh, a um, contradiction in terms. But it, given back then the way the word was used, it makes perfect sense. Later on, stout came to be associated only with porters, and it acted as a synonym for dark beer, thus why you would not have a stout pale ale anymore. Okay. I need to figure out how to like drink through my mic. That would be fucking fantastic. Anyway, um, take a drink every time I say um. Remember that. Uh, Latter 19th century, stout porter beers actually got a reputation as a healthful and strengthening drink. Think of the guys that like would would uh, roll around on you know those horse-drawn carriages selling their tonics and stuff. That's kind of the way I picture it. Uh, and it was actually used by athletes and nursing mothers. Doctors recommended it to both for recovery. This is why Guinness actually used the slogan back in the 1920s, Guinness is good for you. It stemmed from market research where people told the researchers that they felt good after drinking a pint. Well, of course you feel good after drinking a pint of Guinness. You're, you know, you're on your way to getting drunk. But uh, you know, people weren't necessarily too bright back then. Uh, you know, I, I feel great after drinking a stout so much so I'll have three or four of them in one sitting and then I'll feel fucking fantastic. You know, Guinness is good for me. Yeah. In um, England back then, post-op patients and blood donors were even given Guinness based on the belief that it was high in iron. And obviously Guinness isn't necessarily... Uh, you may want to check for his uh, diploma because he's probably not a doctor and may just be trying to touch your genitals or something. Um... Milk stouts 
like the ones I had you guys try. Uh, they gained popularity in Great Britain following World War One, but their popularity declined significantly at the end of the 20th century, though we're now seeing a resurgence, which is nice, you know, much to my benefit because I fucking love the, the uh, milk stouts. Even today, there's still debates over whether stouts and porters should even be separate styles or if they're really one and the same. It's one of those things. Like I tell you on Beer Advocate, it, it's a matter of classifying the beer. One person will classify it one way. Another person will classify it the other way. You never know. Um, so I will get into the various varieties of stouts. Some of these are going to sound familiar. Some of them aren't. Uh, some of them, you're, you're going to have heard them from me on the show before. You're going to hear them from my recommendations, things like that. Mm. The first one is a dry or Irish stout. In Irish, it's known as Lien Dub, or black beer. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but I'm not Irish. so Well, I am Irish, but I don't fucking know Irish, so whatever. Uh, it's very dark and rich in color with a roasted or coffee-like taste. The most famous example, obviously, is Guinness. The alcohol content of an Irish stout is usually light uh, compared to other stouts, but it can vary depending on which country is producing it. One that I've had and liked, um, and again, I'll try and post this in the Facebook group later. Um, I might even just kind of put together an impromptu page of all the links or something, and um, put it on my server and just link to it on on, uh, Facebook. Um, it's Snake Chaser by Lakefront Brewery in Wisconsin. I told you guys uh, I got the Lakefront uh, button from the beer fest yesterday. It was actually my first experience drinking a lighter stout like that, and it was a good example of the style in my opinion. I liked it. Um, the most popular ones on Beer Advocate, I'll link that um, on the page at some point. One that I see on the list is from a Michigan brewery that my brother-in-law told me about, Dragon Mead. I constantly hear good things about them from people in Michigan, and I have yet to have anything from them because they don't distribute out this far, which is kind of a shame because, like I said, I always hear great things about them. The next style, and this is another one that I know I've mentioned at least a few times before, is the Imperial Stout. It's also known as a Russian Imperial Stout or Imperial Russian Stout. It, it can go either way, you know, depending on who's talking about it. Uh, the style, why it, why it's called a Russian Imperial Stout sometimes, the style was originally brewed in the 18th century uh, by a brewery in London, and it was exported to the court of Catherine II of Russia, thus Russian Imperial Stout. These usually have a high, um, high alcohol by volume, uh, usually over 9%. And let me see. <laughs> see I'm, I, I've got Dennis uh, in the, the Skype chat with me here. Let me see if I can bring this link up. Snake Chaser. Yep, that's it right there, Snake Chaser. Um, and it, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, it, like I said, that was that was the first uh, Irish stout I'd ever had. Believe it or not, I hadn't. I don't even remember actually having a Guinness. Um, I know I probably have at some point, but it, it didn't. I guess it didn't resonate with me. But um, shit, where the hell was I? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, the Russian Imperial Stouts. I almost uh, picked up one at the um, at the liquor store yesterday that uh, seemed interesting because it was a small bottle. I mean, I'm talking less than a 12 ounce. I think it was like a 9.9 ounce bottle, you know, a tiny little thing. And it was like 7.99 for it. 
And I was thinking, eh, do I really want this? No. Every now and then, I'll you know pick up a ridiculously priced beer like that. I had. Um, oh, I mentioned that one. Uh, that one that's like an eighteen percent alcohol, and the twelve ounce bottle was I don't know, like thirteen or fourteen bucks or something like that. I had a. Um, this was a twenty two ounce bottle. It was I think it was Sam Adams Infinium, limited brew kind of thing. I had been looking for it, grabbed it off the shelf. There wasn't a, a price tag up there or anything. And I think it was like 35 or 40 bucks for that. And the sad thing was, I wasn't even that impressed with it. So I'm I'm not averse to spending money on my beer, but I get kind of weary after, you know, happenings like that. But anyway, back to the Imperial Stouts. Um, on Beer Advocate, they're actually usually categorized, or sometimes, as an American double stout. Not to be confused with the Belgian double from last week. That's D-U-B-B-E-L versus D-O-U-B-L-E. You know, double that we know. Um, let's see. Mitch no longer likes me. What the hell did I do, Dennis? Well, then again, Mitch doesn't like anybody. So. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, one that I've hadn't liked, and I, whenever I mention this one to people, it, they... Usually, for the most part, they say, "Oh my God, yeah, that one's fantastic." Uh, it's Breakfast Stout by Founders Brewing from Michigan. The ratings on Beer Advocate. In fact, let me see if I can bring up the page. I think I have it up here somewhere. Yeah, both scores on uh, Beer Advocate are hundreds. Uh, both Beer Advocate and the Bros. And the ratings don't lie on that one. It's amazing. I actually have a bottle up in my fridge right now. Um, I usually don't buy the four-pack of it just because it's a little pricey for me. Um, it feels heavy. Um, and, and, you know, it's a stout, so, you know, not surprising. But that thing, it's so fucking full of flavor. You know, with the chocolate and the espresso notes. It's probably my all-time favorite Imperial Stout. Another one that's really, really good... Um, but it's more chocolate than the espresso notes uh, is the Imperial Chocolate Stout from Southern Tier in New York. Um, let's see. And that, that's C-H-O-K-L-A-T. So it's not your, you know, uh, typical spelling. And I'm going into the group right now. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not Mitch's friend anymore because I've never had a Guinness. Well, you know. I pr- like I said, I probably have had a Guinness, but I just don't remember it because it didn't make an impression on me. So, but I thank you, Dennis, for you know posting some stuff in the group right now. It's definitely helping. And let me keep that open in a window now. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that um that Imperial Chocolate Stout from Southern Tier. Um, up until I had had the Samuel Smith Organic Chocolate Stout, which I've talked about before. This one had been my favorite chocolate stout. Southern Tier has a lot of good Imperial Stouts. If you like the style, look for Southern Tier. Um, their label's pretty identifiable. Uh, it, you know, like runs up uh, vertically on the side of the label. If you look up Southern Tier, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I, I like their stuff. For the most part, from what I've seen, uh, a lot of their stuff is more available in the t- bigger 22-ounce bottles than the smaller 12-ounce. But I know there are there are a few varieties that are available in the 12s. And uh, in the most popular ones on Beer Advocate, 
Founders Breakfast Out, the one I mentioned, is actually up at number 16 on that list. And Founders even has two more in the top 10. So they, they clearly know their, their Imperial Stouts. And I see in the Facebook group, Dennis just posted a picture of the Southern Tier Chocolate Stout. So you'll kind of get an idea of uh, what that looks like. All, like I said, all the Southern Tier um, labels kind of look like that. Uh, there's a little tangent there. that They have a great pumpkin seasonal uh, called Pumpkin. And every year when that comes out, I make sure to get it. But that is for another show when I talk specifically seasonals. Uh, okay. Next one to talk about is the Baltic Porter. Again, we're you know getting into porters on that. It's actually a virgin, uh, yeah, a virgin. Wow, a version of an imperial stout originating from the Baltic region, uh, primarily uh, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland, and Russia. It's usually cold fermented. Technique, if you remember, it's more common with lagers. And uh, ah, okay. Uh, Imperial Stouts, or English Porters, were exported from Britain into the Baltic region in the, in the 18th century. That's how they gained popularity. And it led to them being produced locally with local ingredients and brewing traditions and then shipped back across the North Sea. So they basically took what they were getting, put their own spin on it. The The dark brown color of them it actually covered up cloudiness and the smoky roasted brown malts and the bitter taste, they they mask brewing imperfections. So it's interesting that the some defining traits of it are actually used to cover up problems in the beer. Um, addition of, and this sounds odd, but addition of stale ale uh, would lend an acidic flavor to the style. And that would make it even more popular because people like that acidic flavor. Uh, higher alcohol content and a sweet malty flavor means it shares more in common with the imperial stouts than the English porters from which they were actually derived. So they, when they took that style and ran with it, it they unknowingly became something that was more in common with another style entirely. The style was actually almost unknown in the West until the fall of the Iron Curtain in the 80s, and then craft brewers picked up on it and reintroduced the style. One that I've had and liked, and uh, Dennis will probably post this in the Facebook group, it's Saranac's High Peak series, Chocolate Orange. And before you say, what the fuck, why chocolate and orange? If you've ever had one of those chocolate oranges, I don't remember the brand, but you slam it down on a table... And it splits into slices. It tastes a lot like that. It worked really well uh, in that beer. The the Saranax High Peak series. It I think that seems to be their more. Ah, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's, it's their more exclusive, you know, types because you have their their regular beers, and then you have, you know, the the higher end kind of stuff. Um, okay, and that's another link that I will post later because it's the most popular ones on Beer Advocate. The next one I will talk about is the one that's near and dear to my heart, the Milk Stout. You may also find it referred to as a cream stout or a sweet stout, but ultimately it's all the same thing. It contains lactose, which is that sugar that's derived from milk. The um, The big thing about the lactose is that it's actually unfermentable by the beer yeast. So it adds that sweetness and body to the beer. It isn't, uh, isn't really changed by the beer because it 
can be its own element. An example of a still surviving classic milk stout is Mackeson, which I actually found a bottle of that. Uh, got that in my fridge from that build a six pack that I did. Uh, it was founded back in 1907, but it's now under the uh, supervision of Anheuser Busch uh, InBev, and it actually has a rather low um, alcohol by volume for a milk stout at only 2.8 percent. To give you an idea of comparison, um, just it, for instance, I mean, I don't, I don't think I have a milk stout. Actually, wait, I take well, I, have, oh, I have the Mackeson down here. I didn't even realize that. Um, that chicory stout that I'm drinking right now is a 5.2. I think your average Bud, Bud Light are usually about uh, maybe in like the three, five, four range, something like that. So, I mean, 2.8, it, that, that I think would almost qualify as a session beer at that point. The original brewers of Mackeson claim that each pint contains the energizing carbohydrates of 10 ounces of pure dairy milk. Now, in post-World uh, War II Europe, when uh, rationing was in place, uh, the British government required brewers to remove the word milk from labels and ads and any imagery associated with milk. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, obviously you guys know about some of them that I've had and liked, like uh, Left Hand Milk Stout, Keegan Ale's Mother's Milk. So it, this is a slightly different one. It's 72 Imperial Chocolate Cream Stout from Breckenridge Brewery in Colorado. They actually use chocolate produced by Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory in their brew. So it blends the best taste elements of a milk stout with a chocolate stout. The only downside is that it's a little pricey at $10 for a four-pack, not a six-pack. To me, it's worth it as one of those, you know, once-in-a-while kind of things. Uh, Let's see. Lancaster Brewing also has a really good one, too, if you're into the milk stouts. If you just look up Lancaster Brewing Milk Stout... Uh, you'll 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 find it. It's you know pretty easy to find. And let's see what. what did, oh, okay. Apparently, Mitch wants to fuck my face, uh, and he's holding a Guinness with the uh, with the harp logo. See, you can see the harp logo on there. I guess Mitch is really really defensive about his Guinness. And you you know what, Mitch? What I'm gonna do this week? I'm gonna buy myself some Guinness, and yeah, I'll, I'll report back. So I figure if you like Guinness, it can't be all that bad. Maybe, possibly. But then again, you hate some of the stuff that I like, so who knows? Um, let's see. The next style. Ooh, yeah, it's a good idea. Save for future photoshops. Uh, we could put uh, just about anything in place of the can right there. Uh, again, if anybody can't see it, it's on the Facebook group, uh, Alcohol by Volume. You'll you'll find it there, and you'll see Mitch and his lovely bearded face uh, holding up a single finger with a uh, can of Guinness. Uh, oh, and Dennis is saying, do not buy Guinness from a store, at least not for your first try. Okay, so I'm gonna have to have to get it on uh, on tap at some point. Which yeah, I could probably I I go out to eat at least you know decent. Decent amount of time, so I should be able to get it. Like I know there's, uh, this is gonna sound bad. There's like a Buffalo Wild Wings out here that probably has it on tap, and maybe try it that way or something. I see Dennis is still still writing in the Skype chat, so maybe uh, has a another suggestion for me. Oh, okay, that works for me. <laughs> me and him will go to New York and find a good Irish pub for that. That totally works for me. I ha- I haven't been to a good Irish pub in ages. The the last one I went to was. It was some somewhere in Canada, somewhere in Windsor. 
um, good with like you know slamming the glasses on the tables, sing along and all that kind of shit. They they even had fucking Cuban cigars there. It was fantastic. Miss that place. I don't even remember the name of it. But yeah, I I would definitely enjoy doing that. Good Irish pub for that. So I promise I won't get Guinness until I am able to have it at a decent Irish pub. Okay, I won't badmouth Guinness anymore after that. I don't think I was really badmouthing it anyway. Uh, next style here is the oatmeal stout. And it's basically a stout with a proportion of oats added during the brewing process. Normally no more than 30% of the brew. And while like too large a proportion of oats in beer can lead to like a really, really bitter beer, um, oats and ale were actually common in medieval Europe with proportions of 35%. And even more, like being common for the time period. Not quite sure why, but that, that was the taste then. And the usage of the oats in beer had mostly died out by the 16th century. There were a few hanger-ons in the Scandinavian regions of Europe still using them by the early 20th century, but really the style, it it wasn't there anymore. Um, Revival in oats in beer at the end of the 19th century kind of came into vogue because, uh, again, you know, you had those guys with their tonics and shit like that. Um, They were saying, you know, it had restorative qualities, uh, just like the um, the old you know uh, Guinness claims, just like the old milk stout claims, with this it was likely because of the association between porridge and good health. So it, take that as you will. Um, the 20th century ended up seeing really minimal amount of oats in oatmeal stouts. Like I said, you know normally it's no more than 30 percent, but in these ones, like it was. Some of them had as little as half a percent concentration, which I wouldn't think that would do shit for the beer at all. I mean, it, practically, it's not an oatmeal stout at all. And then um, by the mid-1970s, the style had actually died out again. This is, I mean, the style's practically like a zombie at this point, down, up, down, up. In the late 1970s, Charles Finker, I'm sorry, Charles Finkel, uh, founder of Merchant Duvin, a uh, beer importer that was founded in 1978. He was curious about the style, and he commissioned Samuel Smith. And if you remember Samuel Smith, uh, you know I drink that uh, chocolate stout. Um, he commissioned Samuel Smith to produce an oatmeal stout, and it's actually still available today. And it ultimately became the template for the modern oatmeal stout. I've had a bunch of different Samuel Smith um, brews. I actually haven't had the oatmeal stout yet. I picked up a bottle. It's in my bridge. Or, uh, in my bridge. God damn it turning into a fucking, I don't know, Dutch or something. Jeez. Um, But I I have it in my fridge, but I haven't tried it yet. Probably going to do it uh, maybe tonight, maybe next weekend. I don't know. Uh, Whenever my beer schedule allows it. My favorite oatmeal stout so far, it's uh, St. Ambrose or Ambrose. It's A-M-B-R-O-I-S-E, however you pronounce that. Uh, Oatmeal stout from McCoslin Brewing in Quebec. Uh, had a nice smooth oat flavor, and I kind of like got hints of maple in it. Although I might have been just like misreading that somehow. Um, I don't know. So- sometimes I think I catch flavors that aren't necessarily there. Um, another really good one is uh, blueberry oatmeal stout from Buffalo Bills Brewery in uh, California. Th- there are some people that I've seen like can't stand that one. Um, think it's awful. Think it tastes fake. 
to me, it tasted like a blueberry muffin. And if you like a blueberry muffin, yeah, you'll probably like that. I mean, you can't go wrong with a blueberry muffin with booze in it. Uh, the most popular on Beer Advocate, uh, the Samuel Smith is actually number two, which is kind of funny considering that that's the one from which all the others were derived, ultimately. And the St. Ambroise or whatever um, that I like, that's actually number 10 on there. So they're, they're definitely decent styles there. The um, next one is the uh, chocolate stout. And they're stouts with a noticeably dark chocolate flavor. Comes from the darker malts, like uh, specifically chocolate malt, which is um, they're malts that have been roasted or kilned until they acquire a chocolate color. So it, it's you know the chemical reactions in the in the uh, in the malt. Sometimes, but not always, chocolate stouts are actually brewed with small amounts of chocolate, such as like cocoa nibs and stuff like that. Rogue's chocolate stout's an example of a brew like that. Uh, if you've been to a liquor store, you've undoubtedly seen stuff from Rogue. Uh, they 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 have stuff everywhere. Uh, my favorite one, of course, Samuel Smith's organic chocolate stout from the UK. Oddly enough, a couple weeks ago, I ran into a bottle that it didn't quite taste as good as I'm used to. It was actually too far on the bitter end of things. It could have just been the batch. could have been something I had eaten that was interacting with it. But it goes to show how consistency in beer, both in the brewing and the tasting of it, can be kind of a crapshoot at times. Okay. Let's see. And it, chocolate stout is... It's actually kind of a sub-style within other styles. Uh, there isn't really a specific categorization for it on Beer Advocate. If, if if you do a search for a chocolate stout, I mean, like the, um, the Southern Tier Imperial Chocolate that I mentioned earlier, that one, it's both an Imperial Stout and a chocolate stout. So on Beer Advocate, it's going to show up as, um, I think it's going to show up as an Imperial Stout. Do I have that linked here? Yeah, an American double or imperial stout. So, it, chocolate stout doesn't have its own classification on there, uh, just because it's like I said, it's a sub style. It's not really, really, really its own style. Then you have the coffee stout, which is another one of my favorites. Um, dark roasted malts, like the black patent malt that I mentioned before, the one that's kilned until um, it's like you know practically charcoal. Um, and it produces that bitter coffee flavor in stouts. Some brewers, like with the chocolate stouts, they'll go even further. They'll add ground coffee or coffee beans to the brewing process. Um, I've had some that have added them, and it's almost added too much to it, uh, just too much of that coffee flavor uh, to the point where it overpowers everything else. The um, alcohol content varies from under you know, 4% to over 8%, depending on the brew. Most examples are on the bitter side, but some add lactose, like in the milk stouts. So that creates a sweeter stout. So, I mean, it, it, you're getting into sub-styles again. Uh, one example is another one from Keegan Ales. It's Joe Mama's Milk. It's basically, I, I say it's like a combination of mother's milk and a coffee stout. That's pretty much what it comes down to. I don't like it as much as the mother's milk, but it's, it's decent enough, and it's a good example. Some brewers take it even further with their flavor experimentation of the coffee stouts they'll add chocolate into it which you know makes sense and some have even added mint flavors i haven't run into that myself um i'd probably try it because i'm willing to try just about anything at this point that's not an ipa uh doo -doo -doo. okay a 
pretty good one that I've tried is the uh, Cujo Imperial Coffee Stout from Flying Dog Brewery in Maryland. This this is the best way I can describe it. It tastes like freshly ground coffee smells. So if if you if you've ever you know just ground some coffee beans and you you know take a whiff of that, that translates into the taste. It, it that's really the only way I can describe it. Um. So let's see. and and um, it has you know some hints of like caramel and stuff like that, but it's not too syrupy. And like I said, coffee stout's another one of those sub styles. So. If you're gonna look for it on Beer Advocate, just in the search box, put in coffee stout, and you're gonna you're gonna find a lot of good examples. Um, oh, and I see in the Facebook group, Mitch says that he loves the uh, Samuel Smith oatmeal stout, so that's a good endorsement. I love oatmeal stouts. I don't know why I've never tried the Samuel Smith before because Samuel Smith does everything good. I haven't had a single bad brew from them, um, and I can't say that about a lot of different breweries. This one I found to be a little bit weird. I had seen mentions of it before in stores, but I never really wanted to try. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't adventurous enough to try it. Oyster stouts. Apparently, oysters and stout have a bit of a history together. When stouts emerged in the 18th century, oysters were actually a big sell at taverns, and so when people were drinking their beer... They were eating oysters, too, so there was that blending of the two. The first known use of oysters actually in the brewing process, um, in stout particularly, was in 1929 in New Zealand. And um, it wasn't really followed again until um, London in 1938 at the Hammerton Brewery. So it's not, it's not a big, big style, but it is out there. Modern oyster stouts are usually made with a handful of oysters in the barrel. Uh, others just use the name to imply, hey, the stout would taste good when enjoying some oysters. So it's more of a implied pairing rather than the beer was actually made with oysters. Uh, Marston's Oyster Stout is one of those. I've never actually, again, I've never actually tried that one because I'm, I've been afraid to because of the whole oyster thing in the name. Now that I know that that one isn't actually brewed with oysters... I would probably be a little bit more apt to try it. And again, it's another sub-style. If you look on Beer Advocate, just type in Oyster Stout, and you'll find you'll, you'll find some examples there. There aren't. I don't think there are a lot of examples of it, though. It's it's one of those uh, sub-styles that it it probably. I have a feeling it's probably going to die out. Uh, I'd almost guess within the next decade because it just it doesn't seem to be a big popular style anymore. And then um, this is one that um, I have minimal minimal experience with, but there's a particular brew in mind that uh, really speaks to me with this. Let me take a sip here. Okay, that one's killed. Um, the foreign or export stout. This is it's a little bit tougher to classify this one because I mean that's a that's a pretty vague term, but it's a special style of stout that's brewed like bigger than normal for a long journey. And more traditional ones are found in the tropical regions. They got higher uh, alcohol percentages and very noticeable roasted flavors. Um, one that I absolutely love, and the reason I picked it up, it was another one of those build a six packs. It's Dragon Stout by, and I'm gonna mispronounce this, I know, because I don't know how many of these S's are silent. 
but Desnos and Gettys Limited in Jamaica. The best way to find them, it's the same guys that do Red Stripe Lager. So that I found that kind of interesting. And really, I mean, I, I bought it as part of a six-pack uh, because I just thought the dragon looked cool on the label. Uh, it's a really, really great stout, though. It's mild for a stout, but it has a lot of good flavor on it. Um, and I, I, when people have asked me, like, you know, you know, it, what kind of stout should I try first? Stouts aren't for everybody. Stouts will overpower some people. I've tried to introduce my father-in-law to stouts, and some of them just, it, it's too much for him. Um, I, I think I've even tried to introduce my dad into some stouts, and it, it's it's hit or miss. I think the Dragon Stout is a great stout for people who don't necessarily like stouts or have never had stouts before. So it's a good entry point. It gets their toes in the water. Because it's it's lighter, mild, doesn't weigh you down. So if you like that stout, you might be more apt to trying other ones. It's just one of those. I, I love it, though, because it has, it has that great kind of sweetness to it of stout. Um, I had to restrain myself from um, picking some up this weekend because I had already gotten two build six packs and got you know a couple other things. And I, I, I can only drink so much during the weekend. Like I said, I don't normally drink during the week anymore. So I don't want that temptation in the fridge necessarily. Plus, my wife would probably kick my ass if I had uh, too much of that beer going on there. You're listening to the best of alcohol by volume on More Like Radio. Alcohol by Cheers. volume, Kevin oh, Show. Hey, it's hey. oh, the name down. of the show. Hey, More Like Radio, less like crap. Want more alcohol by volume? Because I'm kind of drunk for this. Let's shit nuts. Download past episodes at morelikeradio.org. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash alcohol by volume. Like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash MLR alcohol by volume. And follow along on Twitter at MLR underscore alcohol. I find your drunkenness very unappealing. I am drunk, or I wouldn't be talking to you. Hey, smokers, you stink. I'm not talking about your character. That's a given. I'm talking about your clothes. It's time to kick the butts and move over to something more pleasant. I'm talking about e-cigs from Smokeless Image. They're cheaper than cigarettes, don't smell, and are available in a wide variety of flavors ranging from mints, fruits, desserts, or the traditional tobacco flavors if that's what you want. Simply go to tinyurl.com slash mlrsmoke for all your vaping needs. That's tinyurl.com slash mlrsmoke. Antisocial. Gamer Radio. Hi, this is Ashley, host of Antisocial Gamer Radio, telling you to come listen to my show every Tuesday at uh, 9 pm UK time, 4 pm Eastern on morelikeradio.com. Uh, every week I like to talk about all the latest stuff going on in the gaming world, what's been coming out, what's new releases, all the topics that you like to hear. I'll be talking about it every single week. Mr. Turtle, how many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? I ain't never made it through a whole episode. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl, how many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? Let's find out. A one, a two, a three, three. How many hosts does it take to make a podcast as good as the Shy Kids podcast? The world may never know. I said three, motherfucker. The Shy Kids podcast. Saturdays, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific at morelikeradio.com. We are the Shy Kids. 
Saturday's noon east. Join Halls and Rorschach as they bring you the news you need to get you through your weekend. Ollie, Ollie, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay, Ollie, I'm outside right now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's really boring hard out here. Uh, Sounds like it. Where are you at? Are you in Antarctica? <laughs> uh, wait a minute, Ollie. I see somebody coming toward me. There's a, there's a man coming toward me. Uh, hold on a second. Hey guys, it's Halls from It's All About Me. Join Rorschach and myself every Saturday from noon to 2 Eastern Time right here on More Like Radio. If you weren't able to catch the last Hippo Juice show, here's what you probably missed. I just keep thinking to myself, and it makes me giggle, that I, every time I hear the story, I imagine it was Ray Romano in the same situation. <laughs> oh, 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 man, bro. Uh, kind of does. I barely that. touched her. Come on. Oh. <laughs> oh, it was my brother. Look at him. He's better than me. Come on. Oh. Come on. Everybody loves me. Oh, I, got, I got twins. Come on. Oh, let's go. Let's go Home Depot. Come on. <laughs> Fess up, Raymond. You know it was you that got you on video. Anybody want soup? Ma, come on. We're talking over here. <laughs> oh, man. I'm dying. So if you learn anything from Hippo Juice, remember Ray Romano allegedly punched his wife in an elevator. Right. <laughs> we don't report the news accurately. We report half of it. Whatever. It's still news. So fuck you guys. This is more entertaining than some football player. Listen to the Hippo Juice Show live every Wednesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. on morelikeradio.com. Now deep beat. Cause the V is so deep An interesting show It won't ever put you to sleep It has all the content That you want the best show on the planet I ain't even gonna front Deep feet Bringing it again and again Don't ever miss a show And make sure that you're always tuned in Hosted by my man Mike And Ski Ray Keep it turned up on the mic All day Ask me what's my favorite podcast I say Deep feet Listen to the show while you're sipping on your tea. It's huh. the hottest of the high. You ain't gotta trust me. Tune into the show and you will definitely see. With Mike and Ski Ray, you can't go wrong. The biggest show ever, bigger than a King Kong. Listen up and don't ever, ever miss a beat. It's Deep V. Remember that the V is so deep. What's up, everybody? Deep V Podcast. Deep V. Be sure to listen to us Fridays at 8 Eastern on morelikeradio.com. Yep. Also download us on iTunes. Just type in DV. DV, your favorite podcast. Favorite, favorite podcast. You know, at the start of the last episode, we went through uh, different nationalities, you know, and now people know that we're Irish. <laughs> and now people know that we're all shite at accents <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I was wondering, is it prejudice to not make fun of, like, all of the countries? Where's you going for her? We'll name check every country on the show, that way no one can be mad about that. I could do Swedish. Oh yeah, cool. Birdie birdie. <laughs> and to the Italians? Papa the poopy. Papa the poopy. <laughs> okay. And to the Mexicans? 
Hey, man. <laughs> uh, Spain? This is Mitch, producer of Dutch and Royce. I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind you why we are better than you. I took the turkey baster and put it in the glass and sucked up as much pee as I could. I took the turkey baster, after lubricating it in my asshole, and put it up as far as I could in my asshole, and I was repeatedly thrusting it in and out while jacking off and screaming out a boy's name and moaning to make it feel like it was real. I can't believe I then I then imagined my I then imagined in my head him screaming, I'm coming! And I squeezed the turkey baster ball, shooting all my pee into my ass. <laughs> I kept taking to the t- I kept taking the turkey baster out and filling it with more pee and shooting it deep into my asshole, <laughs> making it feel like it was a huge cum. Listen to Dutch and Royce live Tuesdays from ten to midnight, only on MoreLikeRadio.com. Hey you, yes. You guessed 10,542. Change your username. And while you're in the More Like Radio live page listening to fine quality programming, notice the banner ad just slightly above the chat room? It's a link to something you want in Amazon. Click it. It's probably reminding you to order something you need from Amazon.com. Don't leave MLR and type the URL like a sucker. Just click the link and it'll open in a new window. This way you can buy your shit and continue listening to the show. Now, change your username. Right there on the right, stupid. The official Alcohol by Volume YouTube channel. Find out what's destroying my liver every week. Ah, my liver, my liver. New beer reviews every Saturday morning. And occasionally some bonus reviews in the middle of the week, too. Hmm, your ideas are intriguing to me, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. Subscribe now at youtube.com slash MLR Alcohol by Volume. Come on, let's go drink till we can't feel feelings anymore. A tub of lineup stronger than Owen Hart's safety harness. MoreLikeRadio.com Other internet radio stations are gay. You're listening to Alcohol by Volume on More Like Radio. I know what makes a great radio story. Alaska's an interesting place. I wouldn't have gone there if I thought nobody wanted to hear about it. Pete, can you come sit down? But I'm still venting! We want to talk to you about something. Uh Uh-oh. I sense an ambush here. Come sit. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm Australian. You're listening to the best of alcohol by volume on more like radio. I'm covering German beers today. And um, also give you guys a bit of a heads up in case I have an inordinate amount of piss breaks today. I've been trying to keep myself hydrated because of this fucking sinus infection or whatever it is. But I'll try and keep that to a minimum. Um, overall, I haven't had a lot of German beers apart from the occasional Hefeweizen and, uh, the stuff I had recently, like the, the, um, the Eichschlinkerla uh, rock beer, 
Erbach and the Wizen and that um, German black lager. I'm not usually a, a German beer person. Not that I don't like them. It's just it's one thing that I don't ordinarily pick up. Uh, you guys could probably guess beer is a huge part of German culture. They it, they do a lot with their beer. Until 1993, German beer was brewed in adherence to a certain law only permitting that water, hops, and malt could be in the beer ingredients. Just those basics, nothing else. And I know I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation. I'm, I'm reading it as Reinheitsgebot. But I actually have an audio clip that I think might say it a little bit better. Let me see. Make sure I got my level up here. Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, so Reinheitsgebot. Did I get that right? Reinheitsgebot. Eh, I think it's close enough. So, I got that. Um, and where, where the hell was I? Um, any beers not using barley malts, like wheat beers and stuff like that, they were required to be top fermented. So it's that warm fermentations, ales, things like that. Um, and that, that whole Reinheitsgebot law. And I got a link for that. I'll post that in the chat room if I can find that. I apologize. The page is in German. If you're using um, Chrome, I think you can get it to to translate that. So, and well, okay, there we go. Got that in the chat. And it literally means purity order, which actually sounds a little Nazi-ish, but it it was. Um, Originated back in 1516, so well, well, well before the Nazis. It sometimes called the it sometimes called the Bavarian Purity Law or the German Beer Purity Law, and it originated in the city of Ingolstadt back, like I said, in 1516 on April 23rd. Uh, it was actually even originally put forward before that back in 1487. So it's an old, old, old tradition. And pretty much it governed the uh, standards for sale and the composition of the beer that was being made in the in the region at the time. There's a little bit of debate over the origins of it. The Thuringians, which to me actually sounds like a Marvel Comics alien race or something that the Silver Surfer is dealing with. I don't know. They They point to a document that state the ingredients of beer as water, hops, and barley. And only that. It was written in 1434 in Wybensee, but the document wasn't discovered until 1999. So eh, there's some question as to that. But in any case, it's an old, old, old tradition. Germans obviously know their beer. They're passionate about their beer because they've been doing it for so fucking long. And uh, this law was actually introduced in part to prevent price competition with bakers for the wheat and the rye that they would use. it um, The restriction of the grains to barley for the beer meant that the bakers would have enough grains to create affordable bread. The wheat and the rye were used by the bakers, so they weren't pulling from the same pool of grains. The bakers could do what they needed to. The beer makers could do what they needed to, and there was no crossover there. It, it, didn't, it didn't fuck with each other's supply line. And, and, and you know, it makes sense. And this law, the Reinheitsgebot law, it also set the price of beer at, which at the time was one to two pfennigs per mug of beer. I think back then it was like the equivalent of a penny, so take that as you will. 
they even had in this law there was a penalty for impure beer. Any questionable barrels, they'd be confiscated. No compensation to the brewer. They'd just take them. Uh, the authorities would probably, you know, of course, they'd do, you know, everything legal with it. You know, they'd probably just, you know, dump them somewhere. You know, they, they wouldn't drink it all, of course. Why not? No. And uh, Bavaria, which today is a state within Germany, they insisted on the Reinheitsgebot being applied throughout Germany as a precondition of German unification back in 1871. I know this is a huge history lesson, but it goes somewhere, I think. Trust me. Uh, it was to prevent competition from beers being brewed elsewhere with a with a wider range of ingredients. It You look at it, it was almost like, I don't know, they, they were just trying to control... They were trying to control the way beer was made. They were trying to make it so that nobody really got um, too much of a leg up in the market at the time for it. Um, and, you know, it, it, it lasted for hundreds of years, so obviously they were doing something right with it. There was actually resistance from brewers outside Bavaria, and it even led to the extinction of certain brewing traditions and styles at that time. Stuff that hasn't even been revamped today. Um, North German spice beer, cherry beer, which I would totally be behind that. And ultimately, the Reinheitsgebot, it led to Germany's beer market being dominated completely by Pilsner-style beers. Um, with the ingredients you were using, that was that was the best way to go forth with everything. And until the uh, European law superseded it, uh, the Reinheitsgebot was also even enforced in Greece during the early 19th century. The first Greek king, Otto, he was originally a Bavarian prince, and that remained in effect for over 100 years. There are still... The Reinheitsgebot, it, it actually holds a certain amount of pride amongst certain German brewers. They they really take pride in the history of that, it, a certain purity within their beer that they're they're not really fussing with the ingredients too much. They're 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 keeping it to the basics, and many in Germany do still claim to abide by it. There are some that genuinely do. There are others that eh, it's a little iffy as to whether or not they're actually doing it. Before its repeal in 1987. It was actually the oldest food quality regulation in the world. So, again, old tradition with that. And then it was replaced by the, uh, let's see, the Provisional German Beer Law of 1993. This is another uh, German page I'm going to post in the chat. Um, as far as I know, Mitch is the only one in there, but that's fine because I know Mitch likes his beer. That's okay with me. Um, oh, shit. You know what? I think I duplicated that link. Uh, this, I know this is definitely the right one. This is the 1993 link. Um, but it allowed components that were prohibited in the Reinheitsgebot, such as yeast, wheat malt, cane sugar. One difference, it no longer allows unmalted uh, barley. So a, li a little bit of a difference there. Uh, in terms of Germany's influence on the beer market worldwide in general, uh, in 2004, the World Health Organization report stated that uh, Germany ranked fourth in terms of per capita beer consumption. The only countries they were behind were the Czech Republic, Ireland, and apparently Swaziland. I 
wouldn't have really necessarily picked them for a big beer drinking country, but you know, okay, fine. You know, beer's beer, and I guess if you live in Swaziland, you need to drink a lot. I don't know, but uh, in 2010, same report had Germany ranked second, so they kind of jumped up within six years there, only ranked behind the Czech Republic and just ahead of Austria and Ireland. So normally, when you think um, when you think beer drinking countries, you do think Ireland, you do think Germany. So you know th- those um, you got those got those at the top there. I wouldn't have necessarily pegged the Czech Republic as one, but I don't know. Maybe that's just my my ignorance speaking that I don't know that the Czechs like to get drunk. So uh, let me take a pull off this bottle here. Hold on a second, and. As I've said before, I'm drinking the Eicht Schlenkerla Rock Beer, the Weizen variety, from the region of Bamberg, Germany. But that is not the particular beer I'm going to start with here. In the German styles of beer, the best one to start with is the wheat beer. Uh, Very common style. They're known as Weizen beer or Weibier, which they're the standard German names for the wheat beer. Weizen is German for wheat. Weib is German for white. So when I mentioned that beer that I'm drinking right now, it's the wheat variety of this particular beer. Uh, much of the malted barley ordinarily used in beer is replaced in these beers with malted wheat. Make sure I'm not pulling up an extra link here. Okay. Um, they use specialized strains of yeast, and they'll produce those banana and clove flavors through, through fermentation. I know I mentioned, um, hell, it might have even been in my first episode where I was mentioning how usually when you get those banana and clove and flavors like that in a beer, it's not actually coming from banana or cloves. It's coming from the yeast and the fermentation creating those flavors. So you're you're not truly getting those exact flavors. You're getting almost an interpretation of them through the yeast. If you look specifically for a Weiss beer or wheat beer, you know, German wheat beer on Beer Advocate, you're probably going to find it either within the Hefeweizen style or the Dunkelweizen style. And that, that stuff I'm going to... I'm going to get to as I kind of go on here. Um, then there are a lot of like, it, there are a lot of styles within the wheat beers. So it kind of, it can get a little bit complicated. Um, and there, there are very subtle differences between them. Um, there, there are probably people that are smarter than I, that could really, really pinpoint a lot of the differences between them. But me, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm just this guy, you know. So, next one, it's it's the Weizenbach, which uh, is a strong beer or a Bach. If you remember, I know I mentioned some weeks ago, a Bach is a strong German lager. It's made with wheat, and the most popular among them, I believe I have a link for that. So, let's see here. Paste into the chat, even though I don't know if anybody's in there. Because I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think people are watching something on TV tonight. I don't know. I know it's not football season anymore, and I know I don't necessarily have that many hockey fans. But eh, 
whatever. You guys listen to it on the download, and I'm totally fine with that. Um, next one is Rogan Beer. R-O-G-G-E-N-B-I-E-R. It's a dark beer made with rye. It's got a grainy flavor similar to bread. I know I've mentioned before certain beers that I've had before that have had that really bready taste. I know there was one I mentioned that has that taste that's really similar to buttered toast. So you kind of get that sense from this one. The most popular ones... Those are wise in box. I don't need that link anymore. Um, And like I said, Beer Advocate's a great resource for this kind of stuff. The only problem with it is a lot of the top-ranked ones, and I'll post this in the chat room for the for the um, Rogan beers. The only problem with Beer Advocate I find sometimes is that some of the top-ranked ones, they're ones that you're never, ever going to see unless you are actually drinking it at the brewery that is producing it. Some of them may never be available in a bottle. They're only available on tap, only from the brewery, things like that. So it can be a little bit tough trying to really grab those most popular ones. However... On that list of Rogan beers, uh, uh, a brewery that is near and dear to my heart, I've mentioned it before, Abita, they do Purple Haze, Turbo Dog, beers I've mentioned before, they actually have a Rogan beer down at number four on that list. So I have never seen it bottled. Again, it might only be available from their brewery. I believe, if I remember correctly, they're in Louisiana. So if you're in that area, check them out. They may actually have the Rogan beer on tap down there. Not sure. Uh, the next one is the Berliner Weiss. Uh, you can probably guess from the name of it um, that it's originating from Berlin. It's a pale, very sour wheat beer that's brewed in Berlin. It's typically actually served with raspberry or Woodruff-flavored syrup. From what I looked up, Woodruff is um, it's, uh, it's some kind of like perennial herb that, from what I actually read is banned for use in a lot of um, um, a lot of food related items. Uh, I think there's a certain toxicity to it, so they're able to derive the flavor, but not actually the toxins with it. Uh, I couldn't. I, I couldn't even begin to tell you exactly what the flavor is because I've never touched it before. Okay. Another wheat beer, the Leipziger Ghost. It's an amber, very sour wheat beer with an addition of salt and coriander. So uh, another, you know, another different quirk with these things. You know, people people try the different ingredients. If it works, they get themselves a style out of it. It's brewed around Leipzig in Germany, obviously due to the name. Uh, it gets a sourness through lactic acid bacteria in the fermentation. If you're looking for this one on Beer Advocate, it's going to be simply under Ghost, G-O-S-E. Um, let me post that in the chat room. And looking at that, uh, let me just see. Because as I mentioned, it, you know, it's hard to find some of the most popular ones. Just looking, looking at the breweries, uh, Sam Adams, Boston Beer Company, apparently actually did one called 26.2. Um, and ranked at number 16 on that list. But it's it was brewed once. 
Um, nine of the reviewers had it on tap. Two of them had it in bottles. So again, some of these mo- more popular ones, at this point, you're not going to find them. It It's kind of hit or miss with some of that. Um, the next is one that I mentioned before, a Hefeweizen. This is one that you're probably going to find very, very frequently and very obviously in your liquor stores. Um, some of these other ones, it, like trying to you know find a Weizenbach Rogan beer, a Weiss, you know, a Ghost. It, depending on your liquor store, you're not going to find these varieties. Half a Weizen, they've become a lot more popular. More and more people are going to be stocking these. What it really is, it's an unfiltered wheat beer. Hefe is German for yeast, therefore it's literally a yeast wheat beer. Uh, the most popular on Beer Advocate. And again, like I said, these these are you're, you're a lot more likely to find in store. I'll post that in the chat room for anybody that's there. Uh, looking at the breweries on this. So a familiar one, Three Floyds Brewing in the top. Sierra Nevada has one. Um, let's see. Anything else I recognize? Um, not 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 really in that like t- uh, Victory Brewing. So, um, but if if your if your liquor store has any kind of selection of German beers, you're gonna find a Hefeweizen. and there's no doubt about that. Um, another one is the Crystal Weizen. Um, and basically means crystal wheat. It's a filtered wheat beer, so it removes the yeast from that suspension of the beer. Also removes the wheat proteins in the beer. Those wheat proteins, that's what gives a Hefeweizen a cloudy, um, Hefeweizen a cloudy, ugh. son of a bitch, rolling over my tongue. Hefeweizens have a cloudy appearance versus the crystal weizens that are more clear. The crystal weizens are clear because they don't have those wheat proteins in the beer. So you get a more clear beer versus a cloudy beer. That's that's basically that difference right there. Um, let's see. Most popular on that. Post that in the chat too. I figure anybody can kind of go back and check the chat history for some of these too if they need to. Um, just looking in the top ten for any familiar breweries. One of them is Six Point. Um, everything else seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of German breweries that I have never heard of. There's actually one that I know I've had before, and uh, it's not that I badmouthed the brewery in a previous show, but um, it was it's a brewery that I didn't realize was owned by one of the bigger conglomerates, uh, Leinenkugel. They make a Honey Weiss. And I've had it before. It's pretty good. I I still drink Leinenkugel, even though now I realize it's not a true craft beer, which is disappointing, but damn it if they don't make good-tasting beers. I mean, I, I can't help it. I'm a sucker for that. Uh, let's see what I got up next. Okay. That pretty much covers the German wheat beers. A lot of them. I'm not expecting you to remember. You know, try a Hefeweizen. Hefeweizen, that's that's probably your best bet for really finding something that you might like. If if you like a wheat beer, try a Hefeweizen. You'll probably like it, and then you can kind of get into the different varieties. I see Mitch in the chat says he has two vanilla porters that he wants to sell to me. I don't know why. What, it, it was probably the Snowdrift vanilla porters, right, that you don't like. See, I... I don't know. I, I I like those heavier beers. I haven't even been drinking heavy beers this week because of being sick. 
but yeah. you know. Um, the next set of German beers, it's pale beers, which, for my taste, it's it's kind of hit or miss depending on how they brew it. Um, the first one is Kolsch. Uh, it's K O L S C H. Um, the O has those two dots over it. I can't remember what the hell that accent mark is. Um, was it? That's that's not an umlaut. I think an umlaut is uh, like the U shaped thing. And I know the line is an accent aigu. I remember that from French class. I don't know why. Um, this isn't a language podcast. What the fuck am I doing? Um, a Kolsch, it's a pale, light-bodied beer, which can only be legally brewed in the Koln, K-O-L-N, region, and it has really prominent hoppiness. Um, oh, <laughs> thank you, Mitch. Okay, so the two dots is an umlaut. I. So what the hell is what the hell is the the um like the almost U shape, like the bowl shape over a letter? I can't remember what that is. I hope I'm not making up that accent mark. I don't know. I've had enough beer in my system now. But, um, like I said, the Kolsch, it, it's a very hoppy beer. Um, and, uh, Mitch, you're asking about the, the Kolsch, the K-O-L-S-C-H. Um, I don't know about that. I don't remember the other accent mark. But, um, the, the Kolsch, it's, it's initially warm fermented and then it's cold conditioned so it, it they start off with the warm fermentation, and then they pretty much lager it. This is another one of those beers that's strictly controlled. It they um nineteen eighty six there was the Kolsch Convention and it was an agreement between members of the Cologne Brewery Association the and it's the only beer that can't be brewed outside the Cologne region. Um if it is brewed outside the Cologne region it can't be called Kolsch. Um, oh, and Mitch is uh, correcting my pronunciation. It's Kolsch. Kolsch. Now I'm starting to sound like Sean Connery. Um, but it can't. It can't be called that name. Uh, it became a protected designation of origin in 1997. If you remember the Trappist beers, that went through a similar kind of thing where. It had to meet those qualifications for it. Um, this is it, it's really similar to how. Um, oh, and yeah, Mitch. You know, I, I'm probably making up that accent mark. I don't know. I could just be thinking of a Wingdings font or something like that. Um, but think of um, think of Champagne in France. You cannot call it champagne if it's not from that particular region in France otherwise it has to be called sparkling wine so it, this is very similar to that so you have the Kolsch and you have the Trappist beers that have that protected designation of origin um, and that it applies to the European Union and in several countries outside of the um, European Union uh, da, 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 da. I know I have some popular ones of that as well. Let's see. And again, I apologize for just being so completely out of it today. Like it, on top of the beer and cold meds, it's probably not the best combination right now. 
sinus pressure, leaving my head floating. I, I but I, I'm dedicated. I'm doing my show today. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not leaving my loyal listeners in the lurch. Um, all, I don't know, probably like ten of you, I guess. Okay, the next pale beer. It's a Hell's. H-E-L-L-E-S. It's a pale lager from Bavaria. This is a semi-old-ish style. It was originally developed back in the mid-19th century when British pale ale brewing techniques were being brought back to Germany. The um, the most popular ones... Let me see. Under Beer Advocate, they're listed as Munich Hell's Lager. So that's another one. You got to, you know, it gets a little bit tough to find some of these. Um, let's see. I'm, if you look at the top ones, I'm familiar with um, the, uh, I'm going to fuck up this pronunciation too. See, th- this is the problem with me never having taken German and talking about German beers. Why Heinz Stefaner? Um, I'm familiar with that brewery. I don't, recall if I've ever had their brewery before, but I've, I've seen a lot of their stuff around here. And in fact, um, when I was at that uh, beer fest a couple weeks ago, um, a couple weeks ago, last week, I don't remember, um, I got a coaster from them, so I have that next. I, I know I tried some of their stuff too. I, I enjoyed it. It was pretty good. Um, but that's, that's, a, that's a brand that I commonly see around here. The next one is um, a style that a lot of you should probably be familiar with. It's the Pilsner. It's a pale lager, light body, a more prominent hop character to it. And in Germany, it's by far the most popular style. It's got about two-thirds of the market. It was first produced in the Czech Republic. There's those Czechs, you know, doing their you know heavy drinking and everything. At the time, it was Bohemia. It was a German-speaking province in the old Austrian Empire. This was back in 1842 in the city of Pilsen, thus the name. Um, and the Pilsen Brewery it recruited a Bavarian brewer by the name of Joseph Grohl. He brought new techniques from where he was and paler malts than they were used to, and that's ultimately where the modern Pilsner came from. Um, for the average beer drinker, one that most are probably familiar with is Beck's. Um, believe I have that. I mean. Like I really like I really need to make a link for that, but you know I'm doing it anyway. Um, but Bex Bex is one that you know a lot of people should be pretty familiar with. Um, and the most popular, as rated by BeerAdvocate.com, not a sponsor, but be nice if they were one day. Um, I know I've seen at least the Prima Pills from uh, Victory Brewing, which is the number one on there. I know I've seen that before. Victory Brewing, I see a lot of their stuff. I know they got one at number 10, too. Six Point has one at number 11. Um, Even Rogue, which um, if you've been in a decent liquor store, you've seen beers from Rogue. Um, They got one at number 13. Um, Pilsner's one that there's a good amount of competition between them all. Uh, Okay. Um, the next one I got here, it's, um, and this name kind of threw me off a little bit at first when I was, um, doing some of the research on this. It's just called Export. The definition of it, it's a pale lager that's brewed around Dortmund in Germany, obviously. 
It's fuller, maltier, and less hoppy than Pilsner. So uh, I think less hoppy means I would like it. It was Germany's most popular style in the 1950s and 1960s, but now it's actually becoming more and more rare to see it around. Um, Pilsner actually knocked its popularity down, and when Pilsner got that stranglehold on the market, only 10% of the beer now sold in German shops um, as recently as 2008 was export. So Pilsner really knocked that style down. Um, it was unique because it used, and again, this was, it was brewed around Dortmund. So it was, a, 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 you could consider a local specialty. Um, it used local water that contained a high amount of sulfate and it gave the beer a slight element of sulfur and it brought out the hops more. In addition, there was more, um, calcium carbonate, which is basically chalk in the local water. And it gave a sharper, more pronounced flavor to the hops. Uh, when making the export, brewers would use less hops as a result to make it not too harsh a flavor. Um, it's weird. It, I, I, I I would be very curious about tasting that because you guys know me. I'm not a big fan of the hoppy flavors, but it's less hoppy than Pilsner, but it has a sharper hop flavor. So it, there, there's a there's a weird conundrum there I suppose um, there are actually when I mentioned how their local water has a high amount of sulfate that you know sulfur element and everything to it there's actually there's a name for that process that people add the sulfate to their water it's called Burtonization and it's apparently a recognized practice in brewing it's named after the town of Burton in the east of Staffordshire uh, England so it's not it's not unheard of so and it, it's um, there's there's some preservation to the style in a way. Um, the most popular of that, and it, okay, yeah, M- Mitch has it perfect in the chat. Super hoppy beers taste like pine trees. That's exactly how I see it. It's either pine trees or it tastes like you're drinking potpourri, and I I cannot deal with that. I had um, I, I think I mentioned on last week's show I had a six pack of. One um, super hoppy IPA that everybody raves about anytime it comes out, and it's Lagunitas, and it's their Sucks Brew. And it just, it did not do it for me whatsoever. It, it tasted like I was drinking a bowl of, that one really seemed combined potpourri with pine trees. I, but it's it's a big style now, and people like it. I just, I cannot get a taste for it. I cannot deal with those super hoppy beers. I don't know what it is. Um, and obviously, I mean, I, I, these days I try just about anything, but if I see it's an IPA, I walk right past it. I can't deal with that. Um, let's see. Uh, the next style, uh, Special, basically special with a Z instead of a C. It's a pale, full, bittersweet, and delicately hopped lager. This is another one that kind of falls under different styles if you're going to look it up. Um, the special, you're going to see it in rock beer, which um, I mentioned at the top of the show, but I haven't really covered it yet. It's that smoked beer. I'm drinking one right now. Um, Hefeweizen. You're going to see the special in those different styles. 
Um, the next one is one that um, I I know I've mentioned before. You've probably seen it in liquor stores, and you may not necessarily be sure what exactly it is, but it's the Bock, B-O-C-K. This one, it's an amber, heavy-bodied, bittersweet lager. You know, I, I'm pretty good with my lagers. Um, this is definitely an old, old-style one. This was first brewed back in the 14th century in Einbeck, and then it was adopted by brewers in Munich in the 17th century. So there, there was a bit of a bit of a gap, really, uh, in the progression of it. And I'll post the uh, most popular styles in the chat room there. Make sure that was the... Yeah, that was the right link. Okay. And um, the name came about basically due to Bavarian accents. The town name of Einbeck was pronounced as Einbach, which translates to Billy Goat. So the name became Bach, and it stuck. Now, because of that, many Bach beers also contain a goat on the label as a visual pun. If you look for a Bach, guarantee you'll see at least a handful to have a goat on the label. That's what makes sense. You know, that's, that's how it makes sense there. Whew. Okay, cold medicine, beer, not a good combination. And just going back to the hoppiness of beers really quick. As he mentioned in the chat, he says uh, they have a local brewery um, called Surly, and their hoppiest beer is called Furious. I can't stand it. Everybody raves about it. And, yeah, that's, again, just like me. Those, those fucking hoppy beers, I just don't understand the... I don't understand the huge appeal behind them because that... That taste does not taste like beer to me. It does not taste like beer to me. Uh, I see guest number... Oh, it's Marianne in the chat. But she's apparently guest number 181853. <laughs> Change your name, Marianne. Jeez. Okay. Uh, where the hell was I? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um... Box also kind of have like a sub-style to them. Um, you remember I was mentioning that, that bacon beer, and that's an Urbach. So, I mean, you, you end up with like those sub-styles of it all. This one is Maybach, M-A-I-B-O-C-K. That's a pale, strong lager brewed pretty much in the spring. Um, the most popular, these ones, again, under Beer Advocate, sometimes if you don't know what you're looking for, you're... Um, Oh, okay, Marianne's being sneaky on her phone. That's why she's just being a guest. <laughs> but on Beer Advocate, these ones are uh, listed under either Maybach or Hellsbach. You remember me mentioning Hells before. Uh, yeah, and the, the Hells, that's a pale Bavarian lager. And this one's a pale, strong lager. So, I mean, a lot of similarities between these. A lot of subtle differences, so the names end up different. Um, I think I... Did I post it in the chat? Holy shit. I'm like, I'm completely forgetting what I'm doing. This is, this is why I need a producer eventually. Um, but if you look on the top on this list, uh, number five, I can almost guarantee that you're going to find that. If you're looking for a Maybach, you're probably going to find that in your local store. Dead Guy Ale by Rogue Ales. If your store carries Rogue, you're going to find that. I, I've seen it practically everywhere I went. And now that I think of it, I don't even know if I've ever had it before. Um, 
I probably I probably should try that at some point. But if you're if you're looking to try a Maybach, that's probably one you're easily 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 gonna find. Another um, another variation of the Bach, you have the Eisbach E I S Bach. This one is a freeze distilled variation of Doppelbach, which is another beer I'm gonna be talking about in a little bit. So don't worry, I'll explain that. But uh, freeze distilled. Uh, I had no idea what the fuck that was, so I had to look that up on Wikipedia. Apparently, it's a process of enriching a solution by partially freezing it and removing frozen material that is poorer in the dissolved solution than is the liquid portion left behind. So it it seems a way of just separating the materials um, by pretty much freezing them and then removing them that way. Uh, Freeze distilling... And there's a nice part to this. It actually increases the alcohol concentration and is even illegal in many countries. Uh, the most popular among these... Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Oh, I see. Uh, Sherry says she didn't like beer until she met Mitch. Now she's an alcoholic. Mitch, jeez! I mean, can't we at least blame this on Dutch somehow? I mean, he turns everybody into an alcoholic, apparently. Um, okay. Where the hell was I? I hear a dog barking upstairs, and I, I don't know what the fuck's going on in my house. Or, oy. Yeah, th- this this is going to be a show that's going to go down for the ages, right? Anyway, um, the... I think I... Yeah, I just posted in the chat the most popular um, icebox... Note the high alcohol content in these beers. And again, it's because of the freeze distillation. If you want a beer that you're not necessarily caring about the taste and you just want one that'll fuck you up. I mean, I've, I've, I read some of the reviews of the higher ones and they were like saying, eh, it's, you know, basically like drinking rubbing alcohol with a little bit of beer taste to it. But an Eisbach is pretty much a safe bet that it'll fuck you up. The average ones boast alcohol levels of 10 to 13 percent that's just the average some of them i was reading um they clock in as high as 60 percent that's a that's a 120 proof beer i don't think you really need that um there's one let's see here's an example of one it's one of the rare ones that actually has a picture of the bottle and everything but um Clocks in at fifty-seven percent. So again, ridiculous beer. Let's see. Mitch says he was watching a movie about a tire that comes to life and kills people. I stopped. What the? F- Wait. Okay. I want to know what that movie is now because that actually sounds more entertaining than me. But I don't know. I'll, I'll I'll try and be as entertaining as humanly possible here. Not as not as not as entertaining as a um, tire that comes to life and kills people. Or also known as the uh, last uh, Daytona race. Although I don't think that actually killed anybody, but you know the concepts there. Uh, let's move on to the Marzen. Okay, and and in case anybody wants to look up that movie, it's called Rubber. Uh, Mitch posted a link in the chat. I'm actually going to have to look that up now, just because it sounds ridiculous. Um, sounds like a sci-fi movie, actually. Anyway, uh, the Marzen, it's a, it's another lager, uh, medium body, malty, 
comes in different varieties. You got your pale, you got your amber, you got your dark variety. The important thing about this beer, this is the beer that's traditionally served at Oktoberfest in Munich. This, if you're thinking an Oktoberfest beer, it's a Marzen. That's going to be what it is. It has its origins in Bavaria. Originally, it was part of a decree that uh, written back in 1553 that this beer may only be brewed between September 29th and April 23rd. That was your Oktoberfest beers. And like I said, most of your favorite Oktoberfest beers are Marzins. Even Sam Adams Oktoberfest, that's a Marzin. So it, once once you hit those autumn months, and he, actually, hell, now if you go to the liquor store, you're still going to find Oktoberfest there. So if you want to try one, you're going to find at least a few. Um, and they're, you know, they can be hit or miss, you know, just about like any beer. Um, I I like some Oktoberfest beers, not a big fan of others, um, and not even due to hoppiness levels, just uh, due to general flavor. Post that in the chat, the most popular Marzins. And then the last one for the uh, the pale beers, it's a cloister beer. This, um, if you're familiar with the term cloister, you're kind of, you're gonna have a re, um, an idea, uh, yeah, an idea of where this is going. It's a term for a lager that is or formerly was produced in a monastery or convent. So it shares that little bit in common with Abbey beers, Trappist ales. It, it's the same concept, pretty much. It can encompass other styles, um, just like the Trappist beer. So it's 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 more of a it's more of a des- um, um, what the fuck was that term? What whatever certified you know Trappist beers and stuff like that. It's more more of a destination beer um, in terms of like where it's produced instead of what it actually is. Uh, you can have a German Pilsner that is a uh, cloister beer. And oh boy, now Marie's making fun of me. Apparently, I said doo doo. Yeah, I know it's funny. I do that all the time. Uh, let me see. Uh, Here's one. Um, I'll post this in the chat. This is a German Pilsner. That's a cloister beer. Um, again, any style can be a cloister beer, but it's associated with those, you know, the monasteries, convents, things like that. So there you go with that. Then we move on from the pale beers to the dark beers. Uh, let's see. Let me drink a little more here. Okay. Uh, first one, alt beer. This one is a top fermented dark lagered beer. If you remember lager, that's cold fermentation. And yes, thank you, Marie. I know you're laughing at me. Do 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 do. Okay. Um, the alt beer it's brewed only in Dusseldorf. For some reason, that's a funny sounding town. I don't know why. And in the Lower Rhine region. Its origins are in Westphalia, and there are still actually a few alt uh, alt beer breweries in that region. The taste range of it, it it varies a bit. It can be mildly bitter and hoppy to exceptionally bitter. The name of it literally means old beer, and it refers to that pre-lager brewing method using the warm top fermenting yeast. So... 
it it's it's a little weird because it's that top fermented, but then it's lagered. So I mean, it the the, the it's changed a bit over time. Um, the alt beer yeast it adjusted to those lower temperatures, and that would create the lagering. You would have that beer be stored and lagered after the fermentation, leads to that cleaner, crisper beer that's. Uh, you usually see it in other top fermented beers like a British Pale Ale, things like that. There are still nine bars in Dusseldorf that brew alt beer on the premises. I so want to visit Germany for this. I mean, I would love to backpack through Europe and just do a whole beer tour. So I figure if, if more like radio really starts to roll in the money, maybe it can fund some kind of uh, backpacking beer tour through Europe for me and a few other people, you know? Um... Uh, each of those uh, brew pubs in Dusseldorf, they produce their own special seasonals, their own secret recipe versions, which are actually known as Stike, uh, S-T-I-C-K-E, which in their local dialect, it means secret. And they're usually stronger and darker than their usual brews. So the seasonals are more, they kick you in the ass more than their regular stuff. Uh, let's see what I got here in my, ooh, damn it. Come on, Chrome, work for me here. Reopen that closed tab because, yes, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm a professional. Um, okay, yeah, Maria, let's go back back in Europe. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's get a sponsor for it. Then I'm, I'm totally down for that. Um, I just posted in the chat room the, uh, most popular... Um, alt beers on Beer Advocate. If you look in the number three spot, you'll see that there is a sticky in um, the top there. So, kind of shows you that. Um, let's see what else I got. I got the Schwartz beer, which actually I um, I bought a six pack of that this week. I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, that one's a bottom fermented dark lager beer with a full roasty chocolatey flavor. You guys kind of get a sense of the um, taste that I like with my beer. Like if, the, if there's some kind of roasty chocolatey flavor with it, I'm, I'm all in with it. Um, the name means black beer, so Schwartz beer, black beer. So if you um, feel like getting a little bit racist, you know, just you know, walk up and call someone a Schwartz and you're probably fine. Um, and you won't get your ass kicked. Uh, it has an opaque black flavor, and the flavor is very similar to stout and porter. Again, why I like these black lagers. And I thought this was kind of interesting. It's often served with dark, chunky breads with cream cheese. I never really thought of having uh, my beer with a dark, chunky bread with cream cheese. I mean, that would, to me, that's almost like beer with a, I don't know, a pumpernickel bagel with cream cheese or something that it, it doesn't necessarily appeal to me all that much i that doesn't 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 sound terribly delicious to me especially not like dipping the bagel in the beer that that's completely out of the realm of everything wait, wait, wait which sounds like the terrible advice marie dipping the bagel or calling someone a schwartz because um i'm probably not going to do either but i just want to make sure all my bases are covered here um in terms of Schwartz beers, uh, Sam Adams actually has a black lager. That's a Schwartz beer. Um, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. At this point, I got so much coursing through my system that I could probably sound like I'm speaking German and not be saying a word. But I'll post that in the chat. That's the Sam Adams black lager. 
Um, I want to say that was that was in a seasonal case at one point. It was just included in there, but I, I could be wrong. I, I know it's sold individually in six packs, and I've seen it before, and I've had it, obviously. But um, there, there were you know, a lot of those um, espresso and chocolate notes. It, it's a nice kind of cold-weather beer, especially for the weather we've been having lately on the um, northeast. And, okay, yeah, Marie's saying, calling someone a black and German, yeah. That, yeah. It, how how likely are they to know what the hell you're saying, though? Hell, I mean, you know what? Go go up to Royce and say it, and see what happens. I'm 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 just you know curious what would happen there. Then again, wait, no, I don't want to take responsibility for that because I don't want to be called into court if there's an assault charge or something like that. So um, ignore my advice. Um, I do not re- represent the views of More Like Radio or any affiliated uh, sponsors or whatnot. Okay, I think my ass is covered there. Um, let's see. I got the most popular Schwarz beers on Beer Advocate. <laughs> okay, I'll post that in the chat room. Um, another one we got here in the dark beers, and oh, just restrained from calling myself uh, calling them darkies. Oh, what is wrong with me? Um, it's Dunkels, which is the German word for dark. Again, make your own racist joke here. I'm not taking responsibility for any of this anymore. Um, that's a dark lager. It comes in two main varieties. You got your sweet, malty Munich style and your drier, hoppy Franconian style. If it's me, I'm going to stick towards the Munich style. That's just me. Uh, it's got a distinctive malty flavor from a brewing technique called decoction mashing. Yes, I said cock. Yes, I know. Uh, before I read this Wikipedia definition, I'm going to take a quick drink here. Okay. Um, decoction mashing, and hopefully this will make sense. Decoction mashing is where a proportion of the grains are boiled and then returned to the mash. So, grains boiled, returned to the mash, and then raising the temperature. The boiling extracts more starch from the grain by breaking down the cell walls of the grain. It it can be classified into one, two, and three-step decoctions, depending on how many times part of the mash is drawn off to be boiled. Uh, It's a traditional method common in German and Central European breweries. Um, Okay, this, I guess this is more relevant here. It was used out of necessity before the invention of thermometers, and, um, or I'm sorry, before the invention of thermometers allowed simpler step mashing, but the practice continues for many traditional beers because of the unique malty flavor it lends to the beer. Uh, boiling part of the grain results in Maillard reactions, which creates m- melanoidins that lead to rich malty flavors. So basically, what it comes down to is the grains are boiled and then they're put back in. So, and they might be done multiple times. It creates a different malty flavor to it. Under beer adv- on uh, beer advocate, these ones they're not just uh, under simply Dunkles, but they are under. Uh, let's see, what are they under? They're under Munich Dunkel Lager. So obviously, you know, point of origin with that. Post on the chat room. Ah, uh, I can get through at least one more before break. Um. Another related one here, it, almost kind of like a blending of styles here. We got the Dunkler Bach. Strong, full-bodied lager, 
darkened by high colored malts. This is one that ends up in a few different categories on Beer Advocate. It can be a Hellsbach, it can be a Bach, it can be a Doppelbach. You know, some of these, it, like I said, it, th- that blending of style, it it really, um, I don't know, it really just um, blurs the it blurs the lines between all the different beers. Um, then this is one that I was talking about before, the Rock Beer. R-A-U-C-H-B-I-E-R. I'm going to take a drink of mine right now. They're usually dark in color, but smoky in taste. That's the big part of this. From the use of smoked malt. It's a specialty of the Bamberg region of Germany. Um, the malted barley, it's dried over an open flame. That's what gives it that smokiness. And rock beer is German for literally smoked beer. Um, I'm having my, my second type right now. It, like I mentioned at the top of the show, the Eicht Schlenkerla Rock Beer. I had the Erbach variety, uh, I guess it was, I think it was earlier in the week. Right now I'm having the Weizen variety, so the wheat variety of it. The, I like the Erbach one better. Um, but it, it genuinely, you open that bottle and it sm- it smells like, you know, bacon. Smells like bacon. Smells like barbecue. It's fantastic. You taste it. You get the same feeling from it. I could see it easily pairing with, you know, barbecued ribs, steak, things like that. I mean, it. it it's so it, it. I can describe it as smoky. You know, tasting like bacon, smelling like bacon, and everything. But it's one of those beers that you really have to try yourself to really understand it. Marianne was the one that uh, told me about this one. And miraculously, I found it, tried it, and was just shocked by the just overwhelming bacony feel of it. And it was fantastic. Um, a lot of places outside Germany produce their own smoked beers, but ultimately they're inspired by those originals from Bamberg. Um, I think I got a... And for that, um, that Erbach that I had, I got a link for that. I'll post that in the chat. And if you'll you'll see on Beer Advocate, it's actually very highly rated. And in fact, if you check out the um, the most popular rock beers or smoke beers, it's actually number two on that list. So it it's a really good example of it. I was able to find it here in Jersey. Uh, Marianne was able to find it in Massachusetts. So the likelihood of at least finding it for our east coast listeners you're you're probably you have you stand a decent chance of finding it again um it's um wow I'm, you know i'm just going to spell this out echt a e c h t schlenkerla s c h l e n k e r l a and then rockbeer r a u c h b i e r Marie asks, is it true that German beers should be drank at room temperature? You know, I've I've heard arguments for both ways. I've had some German beers at room temperature. For me, it 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 doesn't it I don't know, something something's off with the flavor when it's at room temperature. Um whenever I've had my German beers, they're for me they're better refrigerated, but that might just be western influence of beers. Um, 
I, I mean, you look at um, even when it comes to um, in, um, I guess, like in um, England, Ireland, stuff like that, uh, like the stouts that they had on tap there, a lot of those are at room temperature. I think it, I think it may be very much um, derived from a cultural standpoint. You look at Europe, a lot longer history there, a uh, lot longer history without refrigeration. So in terms of those beers, they probably became more used to it without that refrigeration. Um, for my taste, I prefer to refrigerate a German beer. Uh, to me, the taste, you know, come better like that for me. Um, and, um, yeah, Marie says most places in Germany have their local brew on tap and it's supposed to be close to room temperature. And, you know, it, honestly, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, and that's probably the case. I mean, I'm thinking like with my beer right now, it's, actually, wait, let me taste this right now. I'm actually, I've had this open long enough. It's probably close to approaching room temperature. And I'm either too drunk to tell the difference or this one works for me at room temperature. I might even add that into the homework. Um, you know, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to toss that in there right now for next week. Get yourself a German beer. Make sure you have at least two bottles of it. Keep one at refrigerated temperature. Keep one at room temperature. Uh, buy, buy them off the shelf. Don't, don't buy them chilled. Otherwise you're going to, you stand the chance of not necessarily skunking it, but kind of fucking it up. Um, keep one refrigerated, keep one at room temperature and see if there's a difference in the taste there. I I actually want to try that myself now too. Um, I'm, I, I tend to be kind of picky with refrigerating my beers. I, there was, um, trying to remember what it was. I think it was back when I was still having my Belgian beers. There was one I, I didn't want to wait on. I just drank it at room temperature and it, it almost had too much of a bite to it. Uh, that's like the best way I can describe it. It, it, it didn't go down smooth. Um, but then again, that might, that might've just been the st- the way that beer was. Um, okay. You know, uh, let me do, let me do a couple more beers here and then I'll, uh, hit break. Um, Marie says she thinks it's supposed to open up flavors that, you know what? That actually does make sense to me. So, I think I will try that. I'll do an experiment with that and see uh, what happens with that. That would actually make it easier for me too because then I could just you know buy beer on my lunch break at work and then you know just run out to my car and not have to worry about it being refrigerated and just uh, you know sit there in my back seat and drink it. So um, that's I guess that's probably illegal according to Dutch at least if I have my keys in the ignition. So I, uh, if anybody's going to do that, make sure you don't have your keys in the ignition. I'm not a lawyer. I I hold no official. Uh, uh, legal responsibility for that, yeah. So, last couple beers I'm covering here. The first one is a Doppelbach. I mentioned that before. That's a strong, full-bodied lager, darkened by the high-colored malts. Literally means double Bach. And it's a stronger version of your traditional Bach. Uh, first brewed in M- Munich by uh, monks, the Paulaner monks. It was an order founded by St. Francis of... Uh, yeah. Ah, okay. St. Francis of Paula. They were originally kind of high in alcohol and sweet. They actually, they they termed it liquid bread 
for the monks. They would drink it during times of fasting when they couldn't eat solid food. These days, it's still a fairly strong brew comparatively uh, between 7 and 12% alcohol. Um, and I think, let's see, yeah, I got the Doppelbox up here. Uh, Doppelbox are one you're probably gonna, you're gonna find a lot, um, in your local liquor store. If they have a decent selection, um, you're gonna see it on the label. It's gonna say it's a Doppelbox. It's not gonna hide it from you. I know some beers, the style of it is almost in disguise. Doppelbox, they're, they're gonna jump out at you. And then the last of the dark beers. I know I'm going to fuck up this pronunciation too. Why why noxed beer or fest beer? Basically, these are seasonal beers. Seasonally styled beers. They're brewed in the autumn for consumption at Christmas. Dark beers, eh, anywhere between 6 and 8% alcohol. So you got those uh, within there. Um, These are the unfiltered beers. First one is the Keller beers. They're the unfiltered lagers. They're um, they're actually conditioned similar to cask ales. So it's like it's conditioned in the cask or the keg or what have you, and they're served from that same container without any nitrogen or CO two pressure added. Keller beer. It's German for cellar beer. The strength and color varies again. So the style is kind of hit or miss on that. Um, but, um, cask, cask conditioning is the one constant with those beers. If it's cask conditioned, God damn, that's tough to say right now, then it can be a Keller beer. Um, it contains more of its original brewing yeast. It's held in suspension in the beer, so it has that cloudy appearance to it. Um, let's see, not, not a Doppelbach. Um, it's also um, actually uh, there's there's another um, another sub style here that you're gonna see if you uh, go to this link post in the chat here. It's listed under um, Keller beer or Zwickel beer, and Zwickel beer is actually the next style down. They're similar to Keller beers, but they have a slightly different conditioning. Gives the lager more carbonation. They're younger, which means they're not aged as long. Lower alcohol, they're less hoppy than the Keller beers, which, again, I can get behind. They, um, the strange thing with, Kel- uh, with um, I'm sorry, uh, not Keller beers, uh, Zwickel beers, they were originally, um, it was just a sample amount of beer taken from a brewery boss, you know, so the head of the brewery, taken from the keg, the cask, whatever, uh, the tank, you know, whatever they're brewing it in, with the help of a special pipe called a Zwickelhahn. I swear, I I I love German words. I want to now after this after the show, I want to learn German. But I have an image here that I believe is a brewmaster uh, getting the beer, courtesy of a Zwickelhahn. You see, it's uh, if you look at the tap there, it's that that that. Um, that kind of tube, that pipe, whatever, that's uh, you know coming out of there, that that curl there, and that was originally what the Zwickel beer was. Um. So, okay, got that. Then the last unfiltered beer, it's Zoigel beer, not to be confused with uh, Zoidberg from Futurama. 
I can't do a Zoidberg voice, otherwise I would say, why not Zoidberg? But it just comes out sounding like some random Jewish guy. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Again, it's similar to Keller Beer's, it, you know, kind of sub subcategory of it all. But the um, unique part of it was that in um, Franconian brewing practice, it was advertised with what's called a zoigel. It's a six-pointed blue and white symbol made from wooden slats, and it's actually very similar to a Star of David, which is actually kind of strange considering, you know, it's German beer and all that stuff. So I'm not getting not not getting back into that again. But I posted a link to it in the chat. So um, if if a place was se- um, brewing a Zeugel, you might see that image out in front of it. Uh, for people that are listening to the podcast and not in the chat, imagine this: you have a right side up white triangle uh, superimposed with a upside down blue triangle. And then a mug of beer resting in the middle of it. That's kind of what you get from that. Uh, if you want to look it up on um, on Google, just look it up. Uh, Z-O-I-G-L. You're probably going to find it. Like I said, it's a six-pointed blue and white symbol made from wooden slats. Um, kind of kind of a quaint thing that, at least in the states here, we we don't we don't see stuff like that. Um, so I mean, it's it's kind of cool. And that's that's you know that's pretty much your um, that's your German beers. You're listening to the best of alcohol by volume on more like radio. So that's this week's best of. It is still so weird hearing those old shows, and I'd like to think I'm a lot better at what I do now. But I'll kind of leave that opinion up to you guys. So hopefully I will be uh, back in decent condition for next week. Uh, so. I'll see you guys then.